0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. And you know, in the Bible there are many difficult subjects, many difficult topics. Some subjects, some topics have been debated for thousands of years. Just let me give you a a few examples. The nature of God. The nature of Jesus Christ. The nature of the Holy Spirit. How we see it. How we understand all of these things. Along the ages. And you know the controversy about the subject. Creates actually human conflicts. People used to go to war over each other. Over subject. The difficulty of understanding subjects like that. Now. There are different denominations. As I mentioned before. There are thousands of different denominations. Thousands of different groups. They all believe. In the one source, which is the Bibles, and then yet so much division across the board. And some beliefs are contrary of one group to the other group, and they all claim they have the right interpretations, they have the right understanding, but it comes right away from the book that we call the Bible. If, as I mentioned to you again, it can be that the oldest groups are right. It can be. If someone's right, it means then somebody else is wrong. Even here, in our little group, we have differences. The way how we interpret some scriptures, the way what we see it, and the same thing. It can be both disagree on something, and it can be that we both be right. Either we're both wrong, or one of us is right, and one of us might be wrong. What I want to talk today is about very controversial subject throughout the history, throughout the history of the especially throughout the history of the church. And you already hear the title of my my sermons, but first before I go into the depth of my message, just a few questions to consider as we go through it. Just to see if we'll be able, if somebody will ask you this question we'll be able to answer them just right away from the top of your head. What is your understanding? How would you understand if somebody will ask you what is the role and purpose of Israel in the Bible? How would you answer that? What is the role and purpose of church in the Bible? Let me ask you another question. The church replace Israel. What would you say to that? The church replace Israel. Or. They will say no. Church. Is the part of Israel. Is church the part of Israel. If you say yes to this question. The church is part of Israel. Then. Why. Would Jesus Christ create a church if church is part of Israel is there any difference between Israel and the church or maybe there are not that's just that a few questions that have been on my mind for a uh, for quite some time now when I try to answer them. I don't have. I'm not saying that I have the answer to all of these questions. But hopefully through my presentations today. And some of them in the future. Hopefully we together as a group. Will find the meaningful, meaningful answer. To all of these questions. And. All of these questions coming from. And I have to be. I have to be honest here. Have you listened Pastor Agent's sermons. At the end of November. Two sermons in Serious after another. One Sabbath after another. How many of them remember. When he was talking about the salvations of the Jews. And there was the other one. About how the nations will be saved. You remember those messages? Then in his message. He said that everything in the scripture. Is about Israel. The God's name. Will be glorified. In Israel. Now, as he's going through the book of Isaiah, if you follow closely, his Bible study on Wednesday evening, the book of Isaiah, all these questions come up all the time. Do you have the answer? Because I noticed that during our sermon discussions, no one said anything. No one said anything like, wait, brother, what about this? What about this? What about that? Which is all said and just think that you know we all got it, all clear, all understanding, we just fully grasp we fully grasp what actually Pastor Ajahn is preaching. Do we realise what he is saying this thing? If you be a member of a church of God for a long period of time, that this teaching might not actually square up with the church teaching. It's a very serious very serious number of questions that we need to answer. So let's work together. Listen to what I have to say. You guys listen together. If you have questions, write, write them together. And hopefully, hopefully we'll find the answers. As I said, Brother Agent, he, he entered. He started running this marathon a long time ago. Now I just started. I'm trying to catch up to him. and That's what's so making so difficult. You know, trying to put up in my head. Because we all read the scriptures. We all understand the scriptures through special filters that is in our brain. I think would you agree with that, right? Because we all have filters. Whether you like it or you don't like it. You know, some scriptures have different meaning to you than to me. And especially when it comes to disagreement about some part of the scripture. We read the same verse, but you fixated on of this one little thing. And you say, no, that doesn't mean this. This thing means this. And I have my own filter. And I will stuck. To my own interpretation. And you know. So is the rest of the churches. You know. We put some statement as a doctrines. And these doctrines. As we said it. They influence our behavior. How we behave over the years. They have a huge influence. On our behavior. So let's talk about this. Relationship. Between Israel and church. So first thing. Let me tell you. Historically. There are two different interpretations. Historically. The first one is called. Replacement theology. And we don't need to figure it out. We don't need to guess what it means. Right? Replacement theology means that. Church replaced Israel. And Israel has no redemption future. That's the one. Theory. The second it's called. Separation theology. Or. Dispensations You hear about right Most of the evangel- evangelical word They preach about dispensations So I don't know how long I'm going to Actually I know how long I'm going to go today But I won't be able to cover every single thing of this So there will be a part of a series There will be just a part one of a series of sermons That will come later in the future I don't know how many of them So far but let's just see how far we can go today I want to touch today I just want to talk about the replacement theology Today And hopefully I'll be able just to finish just this one. Because, you know, it's important, as I said, the behavior, the doctrines influence behavior. And you'll see in my presentation what I mean by that. Before we go to this thing, we need first to define what is Israel, and we need to define what is church. So we're on some common ground. Defining Israel is not as hard as defining a church. How would you define Israel? Let's go to Genesis chapter thirty two. Genesis chapter thirty two. Right here, you know the context of the story, so we don't need to explain. It's a story about Jacob. In verse 27 it says. So he said to him. What is your name? And he said Jacob. And he said. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel. And the Bible gives a meaning interpretation. What the name Israel means. For you have struggled with God. And you have struggled with men. And have prevailed. Until this day. This people called Israel. As you know. As you study history. You will see it. They struggle with everybody around them. And they struggle with God. To this same day. And. Later on. From this moment on. Even when. Jacob and his family. Or Israel and his family. Enter Egypt. We have about 70 people. Later on. During the Moses time. They become a nation, a huge nation, divided into 12 different tribes, but they all call the nation of Israel. So, in fact, we have to remember, when we talk about Israel, Israel can mean different things. First, Israel can mean as a nation whose citizens are physical descendants of Jacob. Second, we need to understand that Israel include those who are believing and unbelieving Israelites. This is also very important. Believing and unbelieving Israelites. And third, we have to remember, not every Israelite is a Jew. But every Jew is an Israelite. And people miss this thing. They confuse this concept that the Israel and Judah were divided; there were two different nations. And we can mix them up, and especially when we start to read the prophecy of the Old Testament, we can mix them up. So it's a little bit easier to define Israel. How would you define a church? How would you define a church? So let's see if you're going to agree with my definition. A church is the assembly of people, whether they be Jew or Israelites or Gentiles, who have been called out of the word to form the spiritual body of Christ. You're welcome to disagree. Let me read it again. The church is the assembly of people, whether Jew or Israelites or Gentile, who have been called out of the word to form the spiritual body of Christ let's look at some scriptures if I could justify that Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 I have a lot of scriptures to cover today so hopefully maybe a little busier easier if you're on an electronic device but if you have a paper Bible you know Raise your fingers. We're gonna go through a lot, a lot of scriptures today. Ephesians chapter five. And just one verse. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 20 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. I'm trying here to pull the scriptures to form them into a definition what I just give you at the beginning Colossians just flip a few pages over Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence he is the head of the body Spiritual body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 13. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Whether it's slaves or free. And we have all been made. To drink. Into one spirit. So as you can see it is a spiritual body. It's not the same definition. As the definition of the nation. Of Israel. Now. On top of that. Will be very simplified definition of the church. But we also say that. To be part of the church. We need to accept. The death and the resurrection and the messiahship of Jesus Christ. And we need to be called by God's Holy Spirit. Or we say, when we say whether we are Christians, we say basically we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Who are in Christ Jesus. That's what defines us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me give you one more. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him also you trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, which is the guarantee of our inheritance of the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, so, so far, we could see what's the definition of Israel and plus minus how would we define the church? And I'm looking forward to your suggestions later in our sermon discussion. You know, what things we can add, the things we can subtract. I'm open for your suggestions. Now what I want to do, I want to talk about the replacement theology. What is the replacement theology? What does it mean? Re- replacement theology, by its name, you might think is basically that church replace Israel. That's not the full story. People who believe in the in replacement theology, they believed that church and Israel is the same. What happened because of the Jewish rejections of their Messiah? They believed that all the all the covenants, blessings, and the promises were basically, were basically transferred from Israel to the church. So basically, church become a spiritual Israel. So they go through the Old Testament and say, the promise that God made through covenant, basically now in the New Covenant, how we're reading as a Christian, this don't apply to to Israelites anymore. All these things apply to us as a church. The spiritual Israel, the Israel of God. That's at the bottom of the replacement theology. There are some options of this theology. You can go and check it. But this is the main view. The mainstream view of most Christianity that is out there. The mainstream. The mainstream. The new covenant given to Israel in Jeremiah chapter 31. This covenant was fulfilled. You don't need to go there. This covenant was fulfilled through the Christian church. Not through Israel. This covenant was fulfilled to the Christian church. And what other scriptural proofs they would use to justify for what they believe? So basically, the term Israel for them refers now to all those who obey the new covenant of Jesus Christ and this who obey the covenant of Jesus Christ that are called the true children of Abraham. So let me, let me, go over. Let me run through some of the scriptures so we, we see what they mean. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter three Galatians chapter three and look at verse twenty nine Galatians three verse twenty nine. And if you are a Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. So you see if you are Christ. Then you become Abraham's seeds. Then you can claim the covenant. The blessings of the covenant that God promised to the Israel. That's how they justify this thing. Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule. Peace and mercy be upon upon them. And upon the Israel of God. Who is the Israel of God? Church become the Israel of God. All the Old Testament scriptures, everything will be fulfilled and transferred to the Israel of God, which is the church. Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and verse 6. Galatians 3 verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. I have faith. You have faith. We become sons of Abraham. Israelites don't have faith. They're no longer sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying in you all the nations shall be saved. This is the Fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures in us. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 13. Exactly the same scriptures that Daniel read. I'm not going to expand the scriptures in this part of my sermon here today, but maybe later in the future. But just, just basically, I want to show you what these people, what kind of scriptures they use to justify for what they believe. Verse 13, for the promise that he would be, that he would be the heir of the world. You see, this is not just about a little place called Jerusalem and it's just a little land that called the land of Israel that, you know, in a scale doesn't amount to anything. But for the promise that would be the heir of the word was not to Abraham, Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs. Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For, for where there is, for, for there is no law, there is no transgressions. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith. That it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to, to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law. But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. See it? It's not just about little Israel. It's not just about the little land of Israel. This is about the whole world. We are heirs of the whole world. Not just of Jerusalem and Abraham and, and, and Judah. Now. The most Jewish gospel in the New Testament. The most Jewish gospel in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. There is another passage. They like to read it and quote to justify what they believe. Matthew chapter 21. The most Jewish gospel in the New Testament. Look at verse 33, which is the parable of the the wicked wine dressers. Verse 33, Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased this to wine dressers and went into a far country. Now when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the wine dressers that they may receive its fruit. And the wine dressers took, took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stone another. Again, he sent another servants, more, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of, the, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the wine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves. This is the heir. Come let us kill him. And cease his inheritance. So they took him. And cast him out of the vineyard. And killed him. Therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes. What will he do. To those wine dressers. And here is the prophecy. 41. And they said to him. He will destroy the wicked men. He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease these vine dresses to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit in their season. And Jesus said to him, or just keep to verse forty three. He says, Therefore I say to you, there are Jesus' words I read in my Bible, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. There you go. The kingdom will be taken from the Israelites and will be given to nations who are the nations. All the Gentiles people who come into Christ. Who believed. Most Jewish gospel in your Bible. Saying exactly the same thing. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter two. If you look for a definition, who is a true Jew? There's right here that Paul gives you the apostle to the Gentile, he'll give you a definition. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, he is one outwardly, nor is a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Verse 29. Who is a Jew? But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's it. I hope I convince you to this replacement theology. I give you like, I don't know, about ten scriptures, one after another. Even in the words of our Saviour Jesus Christ, we heard it was said that kingdom will be taken of you and given to the other nation. What do we make up of all of this thing? What should we believe? The people who believe this replacement theology, they say that the church, not Israel, is now the apple of God's eye. Not Israel. The church now is the apple of God's eye. That's quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10. You don't have to go there. And Zechariah. Chapter 2, verse 8. So basically they say, the term Israel only means those who are Christians and only Christians are the inheritors of all the promises and covenants that God promised to his own people. So in the end, they say, you see, all the covenants, all the promises given to Israel, they've been transferred. To the church now. Now for the Jews. The Jews now. They need to convert. They need to accept Jesus Christ. And they need to. Accept the Gentile church. In order to be safe. And you think this is a small matter. There is not. Let me give you the organizations. That advocate the replacement theology. The Roman Catholic Church. The United Methodist Church, Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church, Episcopal Church, Anglican Church, Greek Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church, United Church of Christ, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the list is not on. That's just the bigger, major organizations. And, don't forget, the fastest growing religion today, which is Islam. This is at the heart of their belief. They fully believe that they are the ones that are replacing the Israel, and they show it in a violent way. who are the God's favor now. So as you can see it, right? Do, they have, do these people have a point? What are they saying? What do you think? If I would just walk away right now, what would be your conclusion? All these questions that I asked you at the beginning. I read your question. I read your scriptures from the Bibles. Now, before I, I'm not going to answer all the single scriptures that I gave you to you. But, but, we've been saying here for many, many months that doctrine leads to behavior, right? Remember? Sometimes it's much easier. To analyze. The doctrine. Looking at the behavior of the people. Who practice this doctrine. Let me give you some quotes. Barnabas. 100 AD. Listen carefully. 100. Not even a 60 or 70 years. After Christ's crucifixion. The writer argue that only Christians could make sense of the Bible. The carnal Jews, with their earthly mindset, have failed to recognize the hidden message of their own scriptures. And as a result, had eternally forfeited their entitlement to the covenant promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Have you heard about Ignatius of Antioch? One of the famous church fathers. So he said like this. Those who partake of Passover. Are partakers. With those. Who killed Jesus. Justin Martyr, Around 100, 100. 165 AD. God's covenant with Israel. Was no longer valid. And that the Gentile. Had replaced the Jews. Additionally he was the first to identify the church as the true spiritual Israel. And he declared that the plight of the Jews, their exile and persecution had happened in fairness and injustice because they had slain the just one. Origin of Alexandria, moving to 254 A.D. And this guy was responsible for much of the anti-Semitism. And he says, one of his treatises, he says, We say with confidence that the Jews will never be restored to their former condition. For they committed a crime of the most unhello kind, in conspiring against the Savior of the human race. It accordingly behooved that city, Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ underwent his sufferings, to perish utterly, and the Jewish nations to be overthrown, and the invitation of happiness offered them by God to pass to others, to Christians. John Chrysostom, one of the famous Catholic teachers, right? We're moving about 349 A.D. to 400 A.D. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople. He was the named the Golden Tongue. He said, the synagogue is not only a brothel, it is also a den of robbers. And a lodging place for the wild beast. Jews are murderers. Possessed by the devil. Their debauchery and drunkenness give them the madness of a pig. This is why. This is why I hate the Jews. He was canonized. He became a saint of the Catholic Church. I can give you more quotes. And uh, some people would say this is not just because you just mentioned that the Catholic fathers. Let's go to the Reformation time. And before we go to Reformations, what about the Crusades? 11th century, 13th centuries. How can people go? March into the Holy Land. And execute everybody along the way. How can they do such a thing? Because, you know, we live in a 21st century. We think that this is impossible. I wouldn't behave like that. You know, I wouldn't behave. Even though I may believe doctrinally, but I wouldn't behave like this. Yes, you would. If you were put in a crowd, you would behave the same way. That's what we need to look and analyze our doctrines. How they control our behavior. How, they, how would they go to call and do something like that? You see, if I... If I strongly believe that I replace the Israel, and I am possessor of all the blessings, then I'm doing God a big favor. here. I'm inflicting these people with punishment that God's desire. I'm doing God a big favor. here. So I'm not just killing Muslims along the way to liberate Jerusalem. I'm killing all the Jews along the way because they, deserve to, they don't deserve to live. They killed the only Lord, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Crusades. Have you heard about the artistic expression in the Middle Ages? Go and Google it. About 20 to 25% of people in the Middle Ages could read and write. 25. So, things like pictures books, pictures Bibles, you know, arts of different forms were very popular because people couldn't read. So look and Google at them, and look the portrait of the Jewish people. How they look in all those pictures. Blood labors, distinguishing marks. What I mean, distinguishing marks. Jews need to wear a special clothing, right, with different marks, so people can see who they are. Who came up with all of these things? We're talking way. We're talking centuries before the Second World War. Centuries before the Second World War. Relegations to ghettos. We're talking about 12, 13, 14 centuries. We're not talking about 1939 when the Second World War started. Not even there yet. All this thing is brewing. Because of one doctor. One doctor. Replacement theology. Inquisitions, pogroms. We can go on, we can go on. Reformation. Martin Luther. As he was at the beginning of Reformation, look what he wrote. He said, therefore I would request and advise that one deal gently with them and instruct them from scripture, then some of them might come along. Instead of this, we are trying only to drive them by force, slandering them. So long as we thus treat them like dogs, how can we expect to work any good among them? Again, when we forbid them to labor and do business and have any human fellowship with us, thereby forcing them into usury, how is that supposed to do them any good? If we really want to help them, we must be guided in our dealings with them, not by papal law from Vatican, but by the law of Christ, love. If some of, if some of them should, should prove stiff neck, what of it? After all, we ourselves are not all good Christians either. That was at the beginning of the Reformation period, Martin Luther. During years, when he tried to preach to the Jewish people, they don't accept it. His so-called good news. So he starts to change his tone of his writing. So he mentioned about the Jews. Jewish people. A miserable and accursed people. Stupid fools. Miserable, blind and senseless. Thieves and robbers. Vermin of humanity. Lazy, blind. All kind. His behavior starts to change. Now. Later towards his life. He's shifting again. Now he's in his writing, he says. He's trying to give the solution how we should deal with the Jews with the Jewish issue. It's not a final solution, but just a solution. Their synagogue and school should be burned, their houses should be destroyed, their Talmudic writing should be confiscated, the rabbis should be forbidden to teach, their money should be taken away from them. They should be compelled into forced labor. Martin Luther, the famous Reformation guy. And his church is still here, and many people go to this church and accept what he teach and preached. It's not fascinating how doctrine influences our behavior. Listen, let's move to a 20th century Hitler. Look what he has brought. Martin Luther has been the greatest encouragement of my life. The greatest encouragement of my life. Luther was a great man. He was a giant. With one blow, he hurled the coming of the new down and new age. He saw clearly that the Jews need to be destroyed. And we are only beginning to see that we need to carry this work on. The greatest influence on Hitler's life was a name by Martin Luther. Think about it. Doctrine influence our behavior. Now, let's just say, why is this theology difficult to accept for me? I don't know how it's for you but I could say why this theology is very difficult to accept for me point number 1 and I just gave it to you study its behavior I will tell you a lot do you know how the doctrine is effective look at its people behavior How can you accept this doctrine? And some of you might say, oh, I, ask, I accept the scriptures, what they say. I wouldn't do stuff like that. I would never do something like that. Let me tell you, yes, you would. If someone puts you in a bigger crowd, if someone kills your family, if falsely least somebody else to be responsible for this thing, you will do exactly the same thing. Doctrines influence our behavior. That's why I have a difficulty to accept this doctrine. Point number one. Because of its behavior of its people. Of its proponents. Now. Let's go to a scripture. Let's look at the sum of the covenants. I'm not going to specify. I'm not going to go through. Some of them. I'm just going to give you some scriptural reference. Because they say. We take. We replace. Israel. So let's see. If you can find any scriptural base for it. Genesis chapter 12. Let's start there. With Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Verse 2. God is speaking to Abraham. And I will make you a great Christian nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curse you. And all you Christian families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 12. That's what it says there, right? No. Genesis chapter 13. Just look at the next chapter. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram. After Lot had separated from him. Lift your eyes now and look. From the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see. I give to you. And your descendant. Forever. How would you define forever? Do you see anything here? That there is some kind of a little speculation that. Maybe this thing will be transferred from one nation maybe to the bunch of other nations. Forever. Is there any indication here as we're reading all the scriptures? How can you justify that you know something was just changed? Something was just replaced? Genesis chapter 15. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your herd, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And verse 17, skip down to verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. God by himself walked between those pieces, which means he meant what he said, it, and he will carry its promise to the end. That said, otherwise God is a liar. If he's not saying what he's saying then the God is a liar. We can't believe in God of the Bible, or at least we can't believe in the God of the Old Testament. Genesis 17. Genesis 17. Verse seven, "And I will establish my covenant between me and you, who is you? Abraham and your descendants after you in their generations for in what? Passing covenant? For a few centuries covenant? Everlasting covenant to be got to you and to your descendants after you. And also, I give you to, uh, and also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan. As an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Can we, in any way, spiritualize, allegorize all the scriptures that say that this thing means He is speaking to the church? Genesis eighteen. Verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do the righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Genesis chapter 22. We're not going to go through all the Bibles. But Genesis chapter 22. If I could go through all the Bibles and, and just give you all these promises and everything that God promised to the Abraham or to Jacob or to Isaac, I'll we'll be standing here for the half day and just reading scripture after scripture after scripture. Genesis chapter 22. Verse 15. Then the angel of the, the, angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. Verse 16. And said... By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing I have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heavens, and as sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seat all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now let's just move forward uh, Allah, Genesis chapter fifty. Now, of all the people, Joseph. After all the years that passed, look at verse twenty-four. What is Joseph remembering about all the promises that God made? Genesis fifty, verse twenty-four. And Joseph said to his brethren, "I am dying, but God will surely visit you." and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob what is his faith come from i knew it because what god promised that he made an oath he swore it he promised it i have faith he will accomplish that exodus chapter 2 exodus chapter 2 verse 24 so God heard the groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He remembered his covenant. What covenant? That he did with Abraham. That he went in the fire. In Genesis chapter 15. Now, I'm going to skip some scripture here for the sake of time, but Second Kings. You see the pictures, right? What I'm trying to, to give it to you here. Second, Second Kings. Let's move a little bit further into the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter 13 Second Kings chapter 13 and look at verse 23 But the Lord was gracious to them had compassion on them and regarded them why Because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. Why the Jewish people are still alive today? Why? When hundreds, thousands of other nations just disappear from history. Disappear. Nothing left over. Why these people that are called themselves Jews are still there because of the covenant that God promised and keeps them alive. Now, that's Old Testament, right? But some would say, hey, Jane, what about the New Testament? Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Look chapter one, look at just break into the context, verse fifty four. Mary. This is what Mary is saying. Verse fifty four. He has helped his servant Israel. Maybe following the Wednesday Bible study. You will know servant of Israel what it means. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers. To Abraham. And to his seed. Forever. This is New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. This is what Mary. Is saying. How she knows all this. The faith. Was passed on. Through the scripture. From generation to generation. To generation. Now. The same chapter verse 68. Now well, let's talk to Zechariah. 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Who have been sent since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. There we go again. And to remember his holy covenant. What covenant? 7.3. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. See it? Either God is a faithful God or God is a liar. And these people, Mary and Zechariah, they have a faith. He said God promised something us a long time ago, and we're waiting for this promise that one day God will accomplish this promise. Book of Acts Chapter three. Peter is preaching here. Book of Acts chapter 3. Look at verse 25. You are sons of the prophets. And. Of the covenant. Which God made with our fathers. Saying to Abraham. And in your seeds All the families of the earth. Shall be blessed. To you first. God having raised up his servant Jesus. Sent him to bless you. In turning away every one of you. From your inequities. Again. What is Peter referring to? To the covenant. What covenant? The covenant of Abraham. Let's go to Paul. Apostle of the Gentile. Book of Acts chapter 13. Book of Acts chapter 13. Chapter 13 here. Look at verse. 16. 16. Book of Acts chapter 13, verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwell as strangers in the land of Egypt. God made the choice, not people. God made the choice. And God made the promises. And God made the covenant. Not the people. That's Paul. Skip to verse 23. From this man's seed, According to the promise. God raised up for Israel. A savior. Jesus. You see it through the scriptures. According to the promise. According to the promise. According to the promise. According to the promise. And the book of Isaiah. It's everywhere. According to the promise. According to the promise. According to the God's word. According to the God's word. Everywhere. God is not a liar. Hebrew, Book of Hebrews, Chapter Six Look at verse thirteen. Hebrew, Chapter Six. And verse 13. For when, for, when, for when God made a promise to Abraham. Because he could swear by no, no one greater. He swore by himself saying. Surely blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured. He obtained the promise. For many did swear by the greater. And an oath of a confirmation is from them. An end of all dispute does God deter, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Do we realize the words that we're reading here in the book of Hebrews? But the two immovable, unchangeable things. What are these things? It's not just that God said something. God's word should be enough to settle all of this stuff. Even people here today on this planet, on this earth, when they have a little argument, people would say, I swear to God. And as people swear to God, we take them seriously, right? They say, "Like wow, they swear to God, so I guess they're serious what they say. So we trust them. God did the same thing. He didn't just give the word. And God's word should be enough for us. He didn't just give the word. He swore by it, his name, that I will do this thing, and I will accomplish all of this thing. If I am not, then I am a liar. So we talk about behavior, how we can tell if the doctrine is good or a false doctrine, look at people's behavior. You might say, maybe it's difficult to prove something scripturally. Look at people's behavior. It will tell you a lot before you try to figure out the scriptural thing. We talk about the covenant, unchangeable. God swear by it, God promised it, and He's going to accomplish it. Now, For this theology to work, they have to go back and read the scriptures that I just gave you and say, you know, guys, yeah, it sounds like this is to Israel, but it's just the allegory. Actually, they don't mean to Abraham. They don't mean to Israel. They mean, actually, in the end, they mean to the church. Really. They have a ground. These all the scriptures are are just an allegory in the Old Testament. They have the ground for it have the permission, scriptural permission to come to this understanding. I don't. I can't. I can't. Now, if you try to say the Old Testament scripture, all they come as an allegory, then you have another problem. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with the book of Revelation? Uh-huh. So you know what they do? They say, the book of Revelation is already fulfilled. This is just a historical fact. So, the book of Revelation is a great source of history for us as a church. But everything in the book of Revelation was fulfilled. You need to justify something, right? What do you believe? So, it has no future reference for us as trying to, let's say, predict the future. It's a done deal. So, that's why we see at the theology of a Catholic church and some of the other churches. They said, this was already fulfilled in a church history. That's it. Now, the other point. Why it's so difficult for me to accept this thing. To claim that church Israel technically are the same. It's just church replacing Israel, but, you know, spiritually they are the same. No, they're not. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And you all know the story. I don't have time for it. So I'll just quickly just read a few verses. It's verse 18. And I also say to you. That you are Peter. And on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bind, bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. So if I, if, if I can justify to use my allegory and allegorize some of the Old Testament scripture, I say like, hey, wait a minute. Jesus Christ, He created His church. As you start reading the New Testament, church doesn't come along till He needs Matthew chapter 16. So if church comes here in Matthew chapter 16, how can we say the church was there in Genesis chapter 12? How? And actually that's not at the beginning of the church. Because Christ had to die first. And then. Resurrect. And then. The Holy Spirit had to come. Before we actually have something that people say. A church. How can we say this thing that. Church and Israel are the same thing. And. I'll tell you this. I can accept this theology. And I would say that this theology is very dangerous. And is a false talk. It's very dangerous. Read history. What this theology. Have done. To people all over the world. In the name of God. Thousands of thousands of people. Were killed. In the name of God. And the people who were killing them. They thought they were actually doing God's favor. They're actually accomplishing the prophecies that God gave in the Old Testament. In the other part, why I cannot accept this doctrine personally. If we say that this powerful being, if he can accomplish, What he promised in Genesis. So he needs to switch. Switch and change his plan. So you know. Somehow we need to help him. To accomplish his plan. Then being in a church. What is my assurance. What is my assurance. That whatever Christ is saying. In the New Testament. Will be fulfilled. One day in the future. What is my assurance. If God can walk away in Israel, then, you know, Jesus Christ can walk on his church. Then our faith is just useless. Let's just go home. Let's go shopping, people. Have fun, like all the other people do. Why are we wasting here our time in this cold weather trying to go to church, sit here and listen to me for an hour, over an hour, you know? You know, go through all this pain for what? There's no point of it. So, brethren, let me finish here because my time is up. And I said, this is just the beginning. This is just the introduction. It's not the end of it. Let me finish in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I will leave you with the scripture. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 verse 1. I say, I say then. That's full writing. Gentile to the Gentile. The apostle of the Gentile. I say then. Has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. Of the seed of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. God had not cast away his people. Whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleased with God against Israel is saying, and I will stop right there, brethren. If Paul is writing in the New Testament that his people, God has not cast away his people, there is still hope for his people. There is still a hope. I'll try to explore the rest of it at some other time. So thank you for listening, and may God be with you. and Let's just collect our thoughts here for a moment and finish in a prayer. O merciful and loving Father, it is amazing as we study your word, how faithful you are, how trustworthy you are to your words. And we know, we have this confidence that we can fully trust what you say. And Father, we plead that you will give us the right understanding. Because as we can see, there are many people who claim that they know the scripture, they read the scripture, they quote verses. But we can look at some of these people. Look at their behavior. If you are able to say that. This is not the way that I want to go. Father we know. We want to know the truth. We want to know what is your plan. For the nation. That you established long time ago. And the nation that still exists today. The nation that survived everything along the way, Father. And we want to know, Father. What is the role and what is the future for all of us here. That say that we part of a church. And Father, as we finish here. Blessed our services. Later on, and we, Father, thank you for all the visitors and viewers that view us online, Father. We ask and pray that you also bless them, give them the right understanding that in the end we can have this wisdom and this proper behavior that will be motivated by love and not by hatred. So we love you, Father. We bless you, Holy Name. And we ask you all these things in other name but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.